Okay, cool. Baxter Kruger has been a friend of Hope Fellowship for uh, a number of years. And uh, I think it was about two months ago, I found some prayers that he had written. Now, we don't do written prayers much here, but there's value to them. Um, it's not just about spontaneity. Let the Holy Spirit drive our thoughts. Um, that has value. But there's also value in thoughtful, meditative prayer. And so I'd like to read one. This was uh, uh, posted in 2015. But uh, uh, I'm hoping that this will speak to your heart. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just listen to this prayer. And whatever is true to you, pray it back to God. And say, yep, that's me, God. Yep, that's me. Now, if I hear a lot of that, I know lots is going on. <laughs> Father, in the freedom of your endless love, and in the safety of your embrace, I acknowledge to you that something happens to me and I get, sorry, I acknowledge to you that something happens to me and I get lost in the darkness. Instead of living in your joy, I get crippled inside. Instead of receiving your love, my soul is disturbed. I become needy. I shut down, withdraw. I become self-centered, angry, and frustrated. I hurt those I love in my pain. I waste time and life. I'm embarrassed. I am scared to look at myself. Forgive me for blaming others for my problems. Speak to my soul, Father. Tell me again that there is more to me than I know. Help me believe that my existence, my life, my future is part of yours. Help me see that facing my life and my hurt means liberation and fullness, not death. Jesus, give me your eyes. Help me to see myself as you do. Holy Spirit, bear witness to my soul that I belong to Jesus and his Father forever. Show me where and when and how I am not receiving Jesus' Father's love. Show me how my fear is attached to people and places, events and smells and things. Deliver me from the triggers and associations of evil. Forgive me for what I have done and said, not done and not said to your children. Amen. Life doesn't always go our way. And this morning I want to talk about when our plans don't go according to plan. Does this ever happen to you? Never. Like about midnight two nights ago when the dishwasher wouldn't drain and I got to pull this stupid thing out. You know, things didn't go according to plan. I thought, great, I'll just pull it. I've done this before, and, but it was a newer one. Plans. Go to bed early. Yeah, right. Or you're heading to an event and suddenly traffic jam or accident, or you have an accident, or you have a flat tire, or somebody calls to, hey, I forgot something at home, or anything happens when our plans just don't go according to plan. What do we do? What, what can we read into it? Well, today I'd like to talk about how not to read the wrong thing, and perhaps switch your lens and say, okay, what can I learn from this? We all go through it. We see other people go through it. We're not the only ones. But the grace of Christ is in your pain. 
And in your interrupted plans and in your interrupted schedules, some of us, me, like to really be organized and plan as much as you possibly can and know what's going to come next. And when a blindside comes, it throws you off. I didn't plan for that. <laughs> it's, it's life. We need to learn to rest in those times, too. And again, <laughs> who am I speaking to? Me. But I know I'm not the only one. I know many of you. <laughs> we all have similar patterns. Some clean it up better. <laughs> you can't tell as easily. So what happens when our plans don't go according to plan? In Proverbs 16.9, it says, Within your heart, you can make plans for your future. But the Lord chooses the steps you take to get there. This is a big one. This throws trust fully at the feet of Christ. It throws our ideas, oh, this is where I want to go, and I want to go this way, but the Lord may have another route to get you there. He may have planted that seed of that idea, but he may have a totally different route than you had possibly planned. He may even have a different plan than you had planned. Do we hear God perfectly? Do we hear his voice all the time absolutely clearly? Do we understand who God is perfectly? That's why we're doing this conference, Beyond an Angry God. To help our image, our perspective of who we think God is. Because we don't see him clearly. We have a limited perspective. And because we all have a limited understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and that we're all growing in grace, that should say something about how we get along and how we have our discussions with other people about different, different perspectives, opposing views even. Gordon Melville was telling me uh, this morning, he had a, I don't know why he was carrying on a paper, or a toilet paper tube. Do you still have that tube with you, Gord? Do you still have that, uh, that toilet tube with you? Yeah, I was wondering why you were carrying that, but anyway. <laughs> he, was, he was telling me that if you take the, the round tube and shine a light through it and the reflection on the wall is going to be round from the round circle, right? Everybody get that? Okay. But if you turn it sideways, you're going to have what shape on the wall? Rectangle. So depending where you're standing, which way the light's coming from, the round circle people are going to go, it's round, what are you talking about? No, it's square, what are you talking about? And then the oval people, and the ones who have need glasses, all those, they have all these different perspectives on the same tube, on the same reflection of light. And the light that is in you, it says in Matthew, if the light that is in you is darkness to you, how great is that darkness? And sometimes we allow darkness to infiltrate our thinking. And Jesus, who is light, who is in us, can expose that. And sometimes we've got we to gotta be aware of the presence of Christ already in us. And learn to hear his voice. Know that he's guiding our steps. He's in the planning department. He's not only in the planning department, he's in the strategizing and the implementation and the end results. He's the whole plan. We have a verse coming up later. I don't know if we'll get to it today, but it's there. So this one I learned a long time ago at a place called Circle Square Ranch. Uh, that was one of my counselors had brought that up, and we had to memorize that. It was a great reminder from a, uh, being a young kid. Uh, look, God, God's got bigger plans than we possibly know. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Or in this translation, it says, a person may have many ideas concerning God's plan for his life. 
but only the designs of his purpose will succeed in the end. Are we able to approach our goals and hopes? Goals for a family, marriage, relationship, jobs, home, car, you name it, the stuff, everything. Are we, do we take our plans, our desires, and we hold on to them tight? This is what I'm after. And I'm going to be determined because I listened to that Anthony Robbins or John Maxwell series that tells me if I believe hard enough, it'll all come true. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can learn from those guys, but don't do it with a clenched fist around your idea. You need to have it open. Now learn. Now learn from these teachers who help us to think well and to plan and have perspective and paradigm shifts. And take your plan and say, God, here's my idea. I'd really, really like it. And I don't really want that trip. I really want to win, win this, blah, blah, blah. You know, I want that promotion. Hold it out open and let him be the beginning, middle, and end of that. And be willing to have that lifted out and a better plan put in. Or it may not look like a better plan. It may look, what is this? This is not what I planned for. This is the exact opposite. Are you okay, and do you trust God enough that no matter what's placed in your hand, you can say, it is well with my soul? I'm not sure we all can. I think we have so much more to learn about trusting God. Many of us don't really know him. We think he's just some guy up there sitting in a rocking chair Okay, I set the world in motion. <laughs> yep, good luck down there. You know, that, that is not the God of this universe. But many in this world see God that way. And they live their lives like that. And if you don't trust him to actually be caring for you, and not trust that he actually loves you, it's going to be hard to place your trust in him with your goals and ideas and dreams. Your future. Your kid's future. <laughs> This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's from Joshua 1.9. Now, this verse here, be strong and courageous, um, that's good words. It's biblical. But I'm afraid some of us have tried to become strong in our strength. Be strong in strong, not strong in our faith or in Christ. Letting Christ in us be the strength, be the faith in our difficulty. Being courageous, that, that, that has to do with trusting. So, yes, there's a command here from Joshua to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. So if this is being told to him, how much more to us? Don't be discouraged. Many of us are discouraged. I know there's discouragement here. It's all, all over the place. In our world, it's, it's a scary time in some ways. But is it? Who's your God? Who's the one who puts powers and authorities in place? Who's in control? Not you. Not me. For those people you can't stand that are in authority, pray for them. Pray for them. For those people you don't like, pray for them. Quit talking about them. Just pray for them. Don't add darkness. Don't have darkness come out of your mouth. And don't listen to darkness come in your ears from a fellowship of complainers and gripers. It does you no good. It's no good for your soul. 
Joshua 1.9, another translation says, haven't I commanded you? Strength, courage, don't be timid, don't get discouraged. God, your God is with you every step that you take. This part here, you got to hear. God, your God. Who is your God? You need to have a healthy perspective of who God is. And we do not get it from the Old Testament. Do you remember? We get it from the words of his son, Jesus, who said to his disciples, you've heard me say this many times here, but I'm going to say it again. He said, because the disciples are saying, yo, can, can, can we see your dad? Can we see the father? Please, just, just a peek. Just, you know, something. Let, me, let us see a little tiny bit. And Jesus said, look, guys, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. We're the same. We're the same essence. We're one. I am one with the father and he's one with me. Almost sounds like a movie line. Rogue One, get it? One with the false, the false is one with me, the one with the false. Never mind. <laughs> Good. All right. Jesus said, I am one with the Father. We are one. You do get it now, don't you? Okay. We are also one. Just like Jesus said he's one with his Father, we are one with Jesus and the Father. So if we want to see who God is, we start from Jesus who explains and reveals. He came to reveal the Father. Now, I still have a lot of questions, and that's okay. Because now I look back and go, but how does that work? He's all loving, and I don't understand that story. What, how does that work? Guess what? You're allowed to have questions. And that's the journey of faith growing. And as soon as we start to say you can't have questions, there's a problem. See, in our Western world, we like to have all of our theology in cute little cubby holes. They're in perfect squares. They have to align, and they have to shift. They have to be able to, you have to be able to see and explain it. God, I can understand theology now, because there's that. There's salvation. There's the Holy Spirit. Got it. Now I understand all of, all of theology. That's what the Western world has done. Very little room for questioning it. Because once you have your answer, there's no negotiating. No, this is what I believe. Done. You're wrong. Ooh. Do you hear that? You're wrong. I've said that too many times to others. I'm learning to not say that anymore. It's not for me. Unless I'm having, let's say Eldon and I were having a really good conversation and getting into not debating, but discussing and, and trying to wrestle through some theology. Because I know him and love him, we, I can say, you're wrong. No, he can say, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Because we're friends. There's a different context of relationship there that precedes our theological belief. Okay? So we can discuss it and, and disagree and still love each other. Now, when we have a larger perspective and you have a, like a debate going on, especially Facebook, don't do it, people. Just stop. Oh, I've had to learn the hard way of yeah, the loudest laugher is the one that does it the most. <laughs> Just kidding, Lisa. <laughs> we get it. There has to be a sense of humility in what we share. There has to be room for love. It has to be done in a loving way. Who is your God? God, your God. Who is he? I want to know him better. And he is so discoverable. 
and he, he's so multifaceted. We're not going to get it in this lifetime. What can we learn when our plans don't go according to plan? Well, there's a few things we can learn. Number one, it's an opportunity to redirect your attention. It's an opportunity to redirect your attention. Because right now your attention is focused on, this is my goal. And if you can't change your focus on that goal, you may not see the other thing that might be coming your way that might be good. Psalm 81, 13 says, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. This may be, this blind side, this, this redirection, this detour may be the very thing God could be using to get your attention. Maybe. Why not consider that? I promise you, I promise, if you look at your circumstance that may have suddenly changed and ask, God, are you trying to teach me something in this? Whether it's a lesson or just the fact you're there. Because when our plans don't go according to plan, we think God's absent. That's how we feel sometimes. That's not true. We need to learn a lot from this. There are ways, there are takeaways that we can take from when things don't go right. Proverbs 16 says, From a wise mind comes wise speech. The words of the wise are persuasive. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Wisdom. Don't think of the world's ways. And Drew, I just got a special revelation in this. Where's Drew? Yeah, you saw it? You caught it? You know what I'm thinking? The honey? Meat is biblical. All right, moving on. Peter planned. <laughs> Some people are not getting it. Never mind. Peter planned to never turn his back on Jesus and did. And received grace. When Peter denied Jesus three times, he was warned. In fact, he was, gonna, he was trying to tell Jesus, Jesus, you're not going to die. Just after Jesus said, I got to go and die. No, not going to happen. And he said, Satan, get behind me. Well, how would you like that if your spouse or your friend says that to you? Satan, get behind me. doesn't go over too well. So <laughs> here Peter's dealing with something from a good heart. He meant well. He was zealously in love with Jesus. He wanted to protect. You want this guy in your corner if there's a fight. You really do. So here's Peter. He turns his back on Jesus, and yet grace was there. I learned something this week about the, uh, the rooster crowing. I thought, I never caught this. But what does a rooster crowing usually mean on a farm? Thank you. A new dawn. Just after Peter. I don't know him. I don't know him. Of course, you idiot. I don't know him. And Jesus looked at him. A new day dawned. I never saw the grace in that story like that. Can you see it? Can you hear it? There was restoration happening. Peter didn't even know it at the time. He, he took it the wrong way because his mind was in darkness. He was living from sh shame and guilt. Just like Adam and Eve were living in shame and guilt when God came into the garden after they sinned. Same distortion. Peter still, same distortion. Oh, God must be so mad at me. 
Jesus wasn't mad at him. He was loving him. And he proved it later. said, Peter, do you love me? Of course I do. Uh, Peter, do you love me? I just said that. Yes, I do. And he had three times to speak to each of the lies. Truth was spoken back in. There is grace coming, even if you're not experiencing it yet. And when you start to look for it, it's there. How come after 49 years, I never even heard a sliver of grace in that cock-a-doodle-doo story? And suddenly, for the first time, I hear it this week. There's much more to learn. And we've heard the stories how many times. Like, remember, as a pastor, you've got to come up with a new gig of swing the story of Easter and Christmas. Like, <laughs> find a good video set, you know? <laughs> it's hard. But as you look, and as you listen, because I didn't come up with it, it came from another friend who is also growing. The more we share, the more our perspectives are going to change and we grow. The disciples' plans changed. They thought they were going to get a conquer, a conquer the Romans kind of king. They ran because they thought, they expected, their plan was Jesus is going to, huh, he's going to take over the Romans. Their plans didn't go according to plan. They were expecting the, the takeover king, and suddenly this king submits? What kind of king does that? The one who's modeled how to live, submitting one to another. That is how we're to live. Most church fights, most relational fights, most work fights are about who can be top, who can be the, um, the alpha dog? <laughs> Who can, who can be more right? Who can be the control one? That's where almost all fights are about. Flip it. So wait a minute. How can I submit? Hopefully we have relationships that are safe enough to practice that because we haven't got it right. I know I don't. Definitely don't. But I want to. I want to practice submitting more. It's not easy. By saying it, kind of hold myself accountable. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Wow. Jesus sets up the model. The model for true relationship with him and with each other. The living man, Jesus, modeled this. Following Jesus requires a change and flexibility in my plans. A relinquishing of my rights Oh my goodness, we are a rights-driven society. Is anybody in a union here? Yeah. They're, they're tough. Unions are about control, about power, manipulation. It really is. And there's benefits to them, and there are curses with them. So I'm not taking sides of union or not, but I've seen both sides. I've heard from enough people. It's about control. About rights. I have my right. I have a right to this plan. I have a right to a raise. I have a right to this benefit. I have a right, right, right. 
I have a right to only work this many hours. We have relinquished our rights, people. That's hard to get in our heads. Being in Christ, we've surrendered all of our oneness, all of our being to Christ. Our right is to let him live through us and decide for us. It's very different than our world's rights. Recognizing I cannot see all things clearly, and therefore I need to give up on insisting on my way. This is, this is a hard one. This one stings. How many here want their own way? Don't put your hand up. <laughs> I do. Almost all of us do. We really do. We want, why, would, why wouldn't you? You wouldn't have an opinion if you didn't want your way. And everybody think, you all think you're right. I think I'm right. Otherwise, that's right. Otherwise, I'm right. Because if you didn't believe that, you wouldn't have your opinion. So those who are fighting with each other, please remember, say, how come you always think you're right? Because they think they're right. There's, there's no evidence to see they're wrong. So find another angle. But the one who thinks they're right all the time, this is the lesson for them. Me, you know. Learn to surrender. Say, so hang on. There may be another perspective that I'm not seeing. And I need to do it with gentleness, not being a jerk. I do this by yielding, surrendering, and trusting my life and plans to Jesus. This means you need to be able to trust Jesus. This means you need to be able to trust your God. It boils down to trust in how you see him. While my salvation is secure through Jesus, the struggle to live from the truth that Jesus is already Lord is a constant battle. How many have heard this idea of you need to make Jesus Lord of your life? You can't do that. You don't even know how. You can't. It's impossible to make Jesus Lord of your life. What do I mean by that? I'm saying that to contrast the fact he is already we don't make him Lord. You can't make him something he already is. Instead, we recognize his lordship in our lives. That's different than trying to make him because sometimes then we can take over that making and unmake him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it, it means there could be a shift. But when we recognize he is Lord, recognizing that he is in us, as us, in us, through us, thinking his thoughts through us, speaking to us, encouraging us. He is the one who is already at work in us and around us. All we need to do is listen daily and respond to his prompting with joyful obedience. Uh-oh, there's a swear word in the Christian church. Obedience, oh my goodness. Nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody. Any parent knows that. Okay? Kids do not like to be told what to do. Well, some of us are just big kids. We don't want to be told what to do. But there's a joyful obedience that comes from wanting to please Jesus as your motive. And that comes from him. He places those desires in us. What can we learn when our plans don't go according to plan? Number two, it's an opportunity to consider his plans maybe different than ours. What we originally thought was a great idea, he may redirect it. I know what I am planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. 
Jeremiah 29, 11. That's what this church verse was founded on. This is the core verse of hope in a future. That's why it's called Hope Fellowship. We believe in hope, good things to come. He doesn't plan disaster on you. He has good plans for all of us. He does. And he has a good life he's placed in you, the life of Jesus. And we live from his life. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. By the way, this is Old Testament, Old Covenant, and he still says <laughs> anything. It's, it's way farther than you can possibly imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Come to the place of admitting you don't know it all and can't know it all. It's not your job to convince. We are not the false doctrine police who have to point out everybody else's false teaching. We are ambassadors of the reconciliation. We are to declare good news. Isn't that a whole lot easier? Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. That almost sounds like rest. Hmm. <laughs> Just think about that. You've seen this before, but I want to give you a quick insight of what God's will might look like, just to give you a perspective. Let's say, there's where you are. Look at that. No, it's just an X. So let's say God's idea is to get you over there. So that's the goal. That's his plan for you. Isn't that wonderful? You may not even know that. Instead, you've got this idea. I want to go there. And that's your thing. You're just driven to go, and you go, and suddenly something else happens, and uh-oh, plans changed. And now you get shot into the middle. You, didn't, you did not plan to go there at all. But you went there, then it came down here. Uh-oh, something else happened. Another event in your life happened that you did not see coming. Something totally blindsiding. But suddenly, that idea comes up. Well, that's an amazing idea. But that was God's goal, to get you there for that, whatever that is. The point of this is to suggest where you are at right now is not the finish line. It's not the end of your story. Whether you're just starting off in life or retired, you're not done. In fact, did you know your influence does not stop after you die on this earth? It continues on in the lives of those you've influenced. It keeps going. Life's not over. It's just beginning, no matter how old you are. God's plan, I'll tell you one thing I know for sure, his will for you, and I know God's will for everybody. I can get rich here. <laughs> it's that you believe. That's it. He wants you to believe. Believe he is good. He is loving. That he accepts you. That he values you. And this is going to be hard to swallow for some people that deal with guilt and shame.
Jesus likes me. You see, growing up, you know, in my home where things were pretty strict, mom said she loved me a lot. And she said, I do this because I love you. And I got spanked like you wouldn't believe. I do this because I love you. Well, don't love me so much. That's what, that's, I, I yelled at her for that. So the duty of God loves you because it's his job description, you know? No. You need to know what love is. You need to know what the word agape means. Never self-seeking. Actually, let's, I'm going to read that. That's what we're going to close with this. I didn't see this one coming. But this is a picture of agape. 1 Corinthians. Oops, sorry, 2 Corinthians. Come on. Pardon? Sorry, I'd, I'd lose everyone. Google. Oh, come on. Help me out. Th yes, I'm just having a brain lapse there. Here it is. Love, agape. And the word agape literally means others-centered. Okay? This is who God is. His essence is agape. He doesn't have it. I grew up believing it was an app or an, uh, it was part of his attributes. Love is not an attribute of God. Love is who he is. This is really important. Now listen. Love is patient and kind. Is God patient and kind? This is big. Love, agape, is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Your God is not boastful. Love does not demand its own way. Whoa. <laughs> Love is not irritable. I thought God was very irritable. He is not. And keeps no record of when it has been. Does that sound like your God? Yes. That sounds like my Jesus who has taken away the sin of the world. It is never glad about injustice. Ooh, wait a minute. I thought he wasn't bailing out people. I thought, I thought he could stop all these injustices. It says he is never glad about it. And he rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love, agape, never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, <laughs> and endures through every circumstance, especially the one you may be facing today. This is your God. He is not absent. You want a definition of God? 1 Corinthians 13. Love. I hope that makes sense. 
I hope it helps do some course corrections in your perspective of who you think God to be. And may he reveal what is true to you. Not me. The Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit who reveals all truth. Who peels back darkness and allows us to see light and allows us to believe. Father, will you keep doing corrections in my thinking? I give you freedom to mess up my theological cubby holes, to delete stuff and add stuff, to shuffle, to do whatever you've got to do so that I can become a more loving person reflecting you. May this be our prayer. That when people see us, they see you. I pray this in Jesus' name.